0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about a number of things, including talking to a retired homicide detective from Hamilton about what the police would be doing, what they would be dealing with, with this killing of Devin Selvey here in town, the 14 year old, you know, the story, a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of stuff must be going on behind the scenes. How would police be dealing with this? It's a fascinating topic. We're going to be chatting with him. Uh, We're going to be chatting about the laws of the land. Is it necessary for you to be a proper Canadian? Is it necessary for you to be fully in support and enthusiastic about every law? Or do we simply say, no, we just expect you to follow the law. You may disagree with it, but as long as you follow the laws, we're okay with that. Because there are different points of view. And it seems that though, now, if you don't agree with people, you're evil. You're wrong. You're a, an enemy. Well, I don't agree with that. We're going to play a, quick, a clip from the Prime Minister where he makes a point that I don't agree with. Well, we'll talk about that one. And Hockey Night in Canada. Is it Hockey Night in Canada or is it Hockey Night in Toronto? An argument has been made that it's only a Toronto thing now. Oh, We'll see. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Right now, there is a football game going on down at Churchill High School. Uh, Apparently, a lot of people down there to continue to show support for the family and the school around. Devin Selvey, who was killed a couple days ago. Now, you you know the story. You have to know the story. Uh, The city has been just the center of Canadian news this week because of this story, because it's so shocking, not just that a 14-year-old was stabbed to death in front of his mother, that alone would be enough, but that a 14-year-old has now been charged with this and an 18-year-old, but the police say a 14-year-old was the one who did. I mean, the whole story just is, it is its is shocking from top to bottom. And I, we've been covering all kinds of different angles on this one. You know what I wanted to bring in today? I wanted to bring in a police officer. Now, it's very difficult to get a police officer who's working on this, obviously, A, because they're working on it right now. They're busy. And B, because most of the stuff that they would be working on, they couldn't talk about anyway, because it's going to come up in court. We are fortunate, though, because we found a retired major crimes detective who also has done homicides, He's done a number of homicides. His name is Rick Arnold. He joins us now. Rick, how are you today? Good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, shedding a little light. because It's a fascinating part because we see this stuff through the lens of Hollywood and through the lens of TV shows, which I'm imagining when you watch them, a lot of the time as someone who's done this, you probably just shake your head and go, yeah, that's not exactly how, <laughs> that's not how we do it. We don't get it solved in an hour. That, absolutely.
2: The, even the paperwork nowadays, you can't do it in a day, never mind 60 minutes.
0: So uh,
2: the challenges are certainly a little different in real life.
0: Uh, so, as I say, Rick is a former Hamilton police officer in major crimes, did homicides. Nobody wants something like this to happen, period, obviously. But when something like this happens, if you're sitting in the office, do detectives want this kind of case to land on their desk, or are they hoping it goes to the guy next to them?
2: Um, I, I think it all depends on each each detective. But uh, at the end of the day, when when you're working in major crime or homicide uh, the, the the call comes in and you don't really give it much thought. It's just uh, it, your mind starts to travel towards uh, what has to get done and, and what you can accomplish. And Of course, when you talk about TV shows, the first 48 hours, uh, that certainly applies. That's true. Um, we, we like to front load for, well, when I was there, we used to front load for 24 hours for sure. Um, obviously, the sooner you can shut down things and, and uh, front load the investigation, the better chances of collecting as much evidence as you can.
0: When you hear though, when the, when this thing would land on your desk and it's a child involved, does it make it worse, or are they? Is it just a, a case, and you have to just sort of tunnel vision that and leave that part out, or are you allowed as a police officer to have feelings about that?
2: Uh, quite frankly. I think the feelings come after the fact. Um, I, I think in cases like this, in my experience, I, I mean, yes, uh, the memories don't fade, uh, particularly when it's a child uh, involved in a death. Um, but I, I think the feelings come after. And uh, certainly uh, one of the things that it is difficult is interacting with the family, and I just... I will reach out to the family and give my uh, condolences. It's a terrible thing, and and I wish the best for all my fellow colleagues that are working on this case because it's it's difficult for everybody that to. I just feel so bad for the family and the mother that had to witness this.
0: Do you, can you have a sense as a detective when you get a case like this handed to you? Do you have a sense? right away or a pretty good idea which cases are going to blow up and be the news stories and that get the kind of attention that this one is or is it always a surprise when a story turns into a massive news event uh,
2: no I, I think that some it's you know I think for some uh, cases um, this particular case for sure I think when you have some of the aspects that are forefront in our community today it challenges and and, and certainly, the word bullying comes up uh, loud and clear, particularly in in the high school and in the younger generation now. So, I, I, there's no there's no surprise to me at all that the media attention garnered in this case is so widespread,
0: because uh, um, I think it's just the tragic circumstances behind it. Is it harder, though, when you go out to the scene and you begin this and you know there are going to be this many eyeballs on you? Does it make it harder? Or, again, is it just you do it the exact same no matter what?
2: Uh, I think it's just another challenge to the investigation that, uh, you know, there's there's different aspects of the investigation that you, you're responsible for. And, uh, and, and kudos to the investigators here, for example, that we're able to find uh, hopefully it is the... The the knife that was involved, uh, hopefully that is uh, because that will be significant evidence. But
0: I I think what
2: happens when you get into um, the case management system, we have to break things down. So we do have what's called a canvas coordinator. Someone's responsible for reaching out to the community, uh, house to house, uh, apartment building uh, to apartment, uh, whatever the case may be. And then, of course, we have a search coordinator trying to find evidence, whether it be by way of video, weapons, whatever the case may be. Um, So, of course, the other aspect that you asked about, um, the media is going to be highly involved, and, and of course, someone has to take care of that. Um, I think the media is always... um, Can it be a distraction? Absolutely. The the demands for interviews and and comments, but, I mean, the media is also our friend when it comes... uh, to helping uh, bring people, prompt the interest for people to come forward.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We were chatting about this terrible story this week of Devin Salve, but we're looking at it from the perspective of the police. We've seen a lot of Detective Sergeant Steve Berizuk so far on TV. We've seen him being interviewed. We've seen him giving updates. You know, I think most people are looking at him and saying, wow, he's looking very impressive. uh, We hope that that is the case. We hope that this case is coming together as we believe it it is. But I wanted to talk to someone who's been there before, and that is retired detective Rick Arnold, who is joining us. Um, Rick, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, the, the media attention and stuff. When you are aware, when it becomes clear that this story is going to become a big deal and a lot of people are watching, do you as detectives... As humans feel the pressure, knowing that this—that a lot of people have your, their eyes on
2: you—I, uh, my, myself personally, never really gave it a lot of thought. I think, um, you know, we we do have um, people responsible for conducting the interviews. I, I think to me, the, the challenge has always been that, um, you know, you can get as much evidence in a case as, as as you like, and. A lot of factors in a case come together very well. But at the end of the day, this is really just the start. And we know that uh, eventually uh, people that are arrested and charged are going to go before the courts. And, uh, you know, what we as police feel is a a good case or the evidence is there, ultimately it's going to go before a judge and jury or judge alone. And it's it's we have to put a lot of faith and respect in our crown attorneys that will prosecute the case. So I think our focus more is, is you can never look at uh, assume that you you have everything um, in place and that there's could always be something some factor mm. uh, that could come up um, and be problematic. So um, again. Um, You know, we we have to respect the media's role, but we also have to be very careful. Um, And in this particular case, um, you know, we've talked about hold back evidence in the past. And unfortunately, sometimes things get leaked out that maybe shouldn't have, and, and that can be a problem down the road.
0: Well, I mean, in a case like this and what we've heard from this, and there's been so many things that are out there that may be true, may not be true. But one thing we know is it was at lunch hour. It was just off school property. There's a ton of people around. In a case like this where there are so many potential, potential witnesses, do you just grab everybody and start talking to them? Or do you prioritize? Or how do you even begin going about trying to sort through all the people who might have seen something?
2: well yes it's they're very difficult I mean uh, you can't force people to talk to you they're witnesses um, and, and and again, the officers that get uh first uh, first responders are certainly going to try to uh, pr- uh- preserve the crime scene. there's going to be a uh, a lot of people milling around and if I was going to say i i mean obviously as the information comes in, we have uh there's a, there's a detective assigned as, as, as uh, someone that takes all the information and then they have to prioritize who should be interviewed first or what has to be, or what step has to be taken next. And what they do is they they have ongoing uh, case meetings to try to prioritize, okay, who do we need to speak to next? What else, What what house do we have to hit for surveillance? Things like that, but... The one thing I will say when we we respond or we're talking about uh, the media, Scott, is is I will say one thing here that if anyone is listening to our our program tonight, what little information you think you had, you have or may have, please go forward to the police and and just think that if this was your family member and people were not cooperating, you know how bad would that be and. I know there's that fear factor, you know, but I think people have, some people I've, I've had numerous, numerous investigations where sometimes it might not be the biggest piece, but it might be a very important piece. And people have said, I just didn't think it it would matter. And then once you talk to them and you hear what they have to say. And again, I, I, I describe any investigation like a jigsaw puzzle and, Obviously, if you can put every piece into the puzzle, you, you're probably in, in great shape. We don't always get that, but another little piece of the puzzle can help. And we know that there's, by by way of the media, I, I don't have knowledge of the investigation directly, but sounds like there's more than one person involved here. and And I think that anyone that has any other information that doesn't, You know, it may apply to someone else that may be involved. Uh, You know, this is information I'm sure the police would really appreciate.
0: How often when you would go out to one, we only have a minute or so left here, how often when you would go out was your initial suspicion or initial theory or initial idea turning out to be the right one? Or how often was it completely different from what you initially thought had gone on? Um. I think
2: they always. I think when you talk about you go back to television and uh, our own perceived thoughts of uh, how how life goes and crime. I think yes, sometimes I I would say the majority of times, what you may think initially based on what the little you've been told, you you will always find it. It's it's probably not close to what you're gonna you're actually gonna discover, and. um, you know, what, that's why I think for investigators, you definitely have to keep an open mind. Just it is...
0: Sorry, go ahead quickly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just because someone's a criminal or committed a criminal act, no one no one deserves to be murdered, especially in cold blood. And I think that that's where you have to keep that open mind and, and you know, that, that there's a family involved. And and at the end of the day, if you hinder yourself with a perceived bias... Um, it, it's going to hurt you, you know.
0: Retired Detective Rick Arnold, really appreciate the time today and the insights. Thanks for doing this. Okay, Scott, you take care.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I want to talk about fighting the law or going along with the law or accepting the law, whatever word you want to use on this one. And I'll tell you why. We, we live in a time where it seems as though we must all agree or if you don't agree with someone you're a bad person Th- this is this is a i think a big part of the reason why we live in such angry times because it's not sufficient for many people that you tolerate each other or that you disagree but you agree to live and let live or anything along that line we seem to believe now in a lot of cases that if you and i if you have a different political view, a different philosophical view, a different religious view, a different whatever view, you're wrong, you're evil, you're a bad person, and I can't like you. And we saw this this week, did we not? We saw this, uh, you probably saw the thing, that you, the social media clip from Ellen's show, Ellen DeGeneres' show, where she was at the, Hamil- the uh, Hamilton, the Dallas Cowboys football game on the weekend, and she is sitting beside former President George Bush. And a lot of people went, What? How could Ellen be sitting beside George Bush? And not only that, she was laughing. She was looking like she was enjoying herself. What is going on? Ellen is a, a lesbian sitting beside a Republican president, a, a conservative guy. How is this possible? And she got up on her TV show, and I give great credit to Ellen for saying this and said, Look, we don't have to agree on everything, we can still be friends. We can still get along. We can still share a country and share a neighborhood and share watching a football game and maybe even eat out of the same popcorn bowl. We don't have to agree on everything. We just have to be able to accept what we've got, accept the laws, live within the laws, and there you go. Well, I tell you why I'm bringing all this up. I want to play a quote. Now, this one, I've heard this, I, I I started thinking about this a few days ago. Then I was driving into work this morning and it was on CHML. It was part of a commercial that is played or a clip that, you know, for CHML news, whatever. Uh, you've probably heard this clip, but I, I went and looked it up to find out what the context was. And to find out when it was. Well, this came right at the very end of August or beginning of September. Somehow I missed this clip when it first happened. But again, thanks to CHML for playing this. I have now heard it a bunch of times. You probably have as well. And I want to play it. It's from the prime minister. And he is talking about, now in this particular case, he was talking about uh, voicing his support for abortion rights and for women being able to get abortions in the country. Let me play the clip. Here it is. It's not enough to reluctantly support the law because it's a law. It's not enough to reluctantly support the law because it's a law. What he's saying, and I'm interpreting what he's saying, but I think I can fairly do this is, what he's saying is it's not enough to simply say, I will follow the law of the land because I believe in following laws and I accept that it's the law, I may not agree with it, I may have strong moral or philosophical beliefs about this. I may be pro-life, but I'm going to, because it's the law, I understand we could fight to change the law if we wish. I'm not going to go out and start killing doctors who perform abortions. That's not what I'm going to do. I am going to live within the confines of the law because that is how we do it in a civilized society. But I don't necessarily have to agree with that law, especially with something like pro-life where it is a moral issue. It is a deeply moral issue. I mean, by the definition of the pro-life position, you believe that that thing growing inside a woman is a baby, is a life. And killing it, aborting it, would be ending a life. You can agree with that position. You can disagree. But that is the pro-life position. Therefore, it's a deeply held position deeply believed in moral position. And that's just one example, but that was what he was referring to. And we heard this in the leaders debate the other day. We heard this in the leaders debate when he and, and Andrew Shear were going back and forth and he was challenging Andrew Shear on not being, you know, he, he was just going along with it, but he doesn't really support the law. Well, wait a second. I want to go back here because do we really in Canada in 2019, do we really have to embrace every law and be enthusiastic about every law, even if we disagree with it? Does it make you less Canadian if you disagree with one of the laws that's on the book? You, you abide by it because that's what we do. But are you less Canadian if you have a law that you disagree with that you would like to see change, that maybe you would love for your politicians to fight to have altered, you're not going to do anything violent about it or criminal about it. But are you less Canadian? Are you wrong for not being enthusiastic? Ben, can we play that clip one more time just before the break, if we can pull this one up? Here again, I want to play this clip one more time. It's very short. Here's what the prime minister said. It's not enough to reluctantly support the law because it's a law. Especially when it comes to the rights of women and LGBTQ... There you go. So even if you disagree, it's not enough. Even if you have different moral positions, it's not enough to reluctantly support the law, follow the law, but reluctantly. You must be enthusiastic about this. Is that, is that really our position now in Canada? I, to, I want to hear from you. We're going to take a break and then come back. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Are you allowed in Canada anymore to disagree, or what? must we all fall into lockstep with whoever is the government and say, no, I'm all for you? I want to hear from you.
1: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We're talking about laws in this country and our position, our responsibility with them. It's my belief that in this country you have an obligation to follow the law. That is the basis of a civilized society. We can't just pick and choose what laws we want to follow and what laws we don't want to follow. That is mayhem. That becomes anarchy. I don't like the speed limit. I'm going to break it and you can't stop me. Well, yes, we can. We have to follow laws in this country. But I'm not of the belief that you have to like the law. You have to follow it, but you don't have to like it. You don't have to endorse it. You don't have to be enthusiastic about every single law in this country. And yet here's what the prime minister said Just the other day. I want to play it one more time. It's not enough to reluctantly support the law because it's a law. There you go. It's not enough to reluctantly support a law because it's a law. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that we have to be fully embracing every law that is on the books to be Canadian? Or do you think it's okay to have difference of opinions and even to encourage people in parliament to vote to make different laws? See, this is the funny part about this. The whole idea of voting in a new government, whether it was liberal after Harper or whether it's someone, if Trudeau wins again or not, is because you want people to go in and make different laws. But by this statement, that shouldn't be right. That shouldn't be allowed because you should never want to change the law, because we should be wildly enthusiastic and supportive of every single law. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but do you? what do you think on this one? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Ned is up first today. Ned, how are you? Very
3: good, brother. Listen, uh, let me rephrase what you're saying there a little bit. If liberals are in power, it's your duty to support them. If the conservatives are in power make laws, it's your duty to oppose them, not simply the way it is in North America.
0: Well, I, look, Go ahead. no, no, I, I, look, I think that every party, when they are in opposition, would argue that the laws or some of the laws that are on the books need to be changed. That's why we have opposition, isn't it?
3: That's a democracy, but the liberals and the states, the Democrats, they're a little more uh, angry or a little more vigilant. You have to support us or you're not American or not Canadian. I'm not in favor of the marijuana laws.
0: Well, but, uh, that's funny. That doesn't
3: mean that, doesn't mean that uh, you know, I to be like I'm not gonna be uh, 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 respect the law of the land. I'm not you know, and that's what it's all about. But these people are vigilant. When it, when it Republicans or conservatives are in power, they make laws, and they accept that the laws may be changed or tweaked down the road but the Democrats and the liberals, they don't think the same way. That, that, they're actually militant, and they're
0: actually pretty good at being militant. It's funny you mentioned the marijuana laws, Ned, because I thought about that earlier when, you, when, when I heard this quote, and I looked it up because I thought, I vaguely remember that Justin Trudeau said that he smoked pot before it became legal, and sure enough, he had an interview in 2013, August 22, 2013, where he says, yeah, I smoked pot before it was legal. Well, wait a second, that doesn't sound like he was not re- in th- embracing the law that existed. That sounds like he was not embracing it at all, that he was against the law and wanted it changed.
3: In fact, you're exactly right. In fact, not only did he get caught with his pants down a little bit, people accused him of, hang on a sec here, you smoked marijuana in your home with friends when you had young children sleeping upstairs? And then he qualified that the next day saying, oh no, he said, I had a babysitter that potential night, that particular night. But then he admitted he did it on four or five occasions and then he had to qualify and say, well, he had his kid, a uh, babysitter, uh, with those four or five nights that he engaged in uh, marijuana with another couple of couples at his home.
0: Ned, so I, he, I,
3: all around was caught with his hands on, but it's okay because he's a liberal. You can do that. And everyone says, what a wonderful, kind, understanding evolution of thought. Well,
0: Ned, I thank you for the call. I got to run, but thank you for the call. I do appreciate right on, it. Thank man. you. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm looking at this saying, look, you have to follow the law. I don't believe that it's democratic to say that you must be enthusiastic, that you must support every law as long as you don't break it. I don't I don't see a problem with having a difference of opinion, especially if it's on a moral level, because here's the thing. We're going to go to the line again in just one second. Here's the thing. If you have a deeply held moral view, to me, it's way more problematic if you're willing just to poo poo that away, wash that away and say, well, I don't care anymore because I'm now in power. If you have a moral view, stand by your moral view. Don't change, don't break the law, but you need to stand by your your morality. Fred joins me now. Fred, how are you tonight?
3: Not bad, Scott. I uh, understand. I'm a Canadian. I go by the rules of Canada, but I wish the rules were all for Canada the same. We pay 13% in Ontario, and out west they pay 5% tax. Uh, Where's the.
0: Well, There's as long as Canada's there, Fred. Okay, so we're onto a different topic here. As long, as, but here's the point, and I'll take you on part of your point. If you are willing to pay your taxes, I'm fine with you paying your taxes, even if you hate the fact that you have to pay taxes. I'm okay as long as you follow the law. But you've brought up, Fred. You, you know, you've touched on a, a brilliant piece of this because how many Canadians pay their taxes with unbridled enthusiasm? None of us what? do. None of us right.
3: do. And I, and I mean, not only too. our prime minister keeps saying middle class, it's rich or poor. There's no more middle class.
0: Fred, I thank you for that. It, look, Fred, Fred is right on the point about the taxes, because here we go. If we are saying, if the prime minister is saying it's not enough to follow the law, you must or reluctantly follow along with the law. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because if that was not the case, then every single one of us should be just looking forward to April when we have to file our taxes enthusiastically. Who does that? Nobody does that. We are reluctantly for most of us paying our taxes. We do it, but we're not enthusiastic. This is, to me, this is the pro- this is one of the big problems. This is one of the big problems, and Ned touched on it, and that is, and we, we talked about it earlier, we end up with this division and this hard edge to us, if we say, if you don't fully support the law that I believe in, you're wrong, you're evil. And And if I don't support the law that you believe in and that you fully support, I'm evil. Well, wait a second. How do we get anywhere when that's the default position? If you are not enthusiastic about what I support, you must be wrong and bad and evil. That is a dangerous wrong place to be. I completely believe this quote by the Prime Minister is ridiculous. And I hope that nobody actually listens to it or follows it. Believe what you believe. Support the law. Follow the law. But you're allowed to feel differently.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: So I want to go to uh, this column. It was written by Jack Todd, who writes for the Montreal Gazette. And the headline is, Hockey Night in Canada? More like Hockey Night in Toronto, and it points out, here's the line, the Maple Leafs are stuffed down our throats 24-7 by the national media, including TSN and Sportsnet. Even the print media are not entirely blameless. See, last fall's mind-bending headline, is Morgan Riley greater than or? Goes on and on from there, taking the position that if you are a fan of any team other than the Maple Leafs, you are being hard done by in this country. When watching hockey. I want to bring in our good buddy, Chris Zelkovich, longtime sports media writer. How are you tonight, Chris? Good. Uh, yourself, Scott? I'm well. Well, listen, I'm better than those who I guess are upset that their Montreal Canadiens cannot be seen. I mean, now, they can be seen. They're on. They're just not on the main Hockey yeah. Night in Canada network. But is do these people, do people who love the Habs, the Oilers, the Flames, whatever, do they have a legitimate gripe?
4: Well, I I mean, I think they do. Um, You know, there's really nothing uh, very new about this, uh, because I remember writing about this probably going back 16 or 17 years ago. Uh, You know, I mean, the joke in the business was that, you know, it was Hockey Night in Toronto. Um, And and there's partly some understandable reasons for that. Uh, Biggest city, biggest fan base, highest ratings, all the ad agencies are here. So they get all excited when uh, when the Leafs win something, not a, not a Stanley Cup, but <laughs> <laughs> a playoff
0: a game. game. <laughs>
4: yeah, uh, you know. So it's uh, there's a good business reason for it, but I think <clears throat> I think probably it is, and I and I haven't really checked the numbers. I, I just kind of went off with uh, what Jack wrote, and I'll I'll give him uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt on that. He didn't make up any numbers. Um, <clears throat> it probably is worse uh, because. Uh, our friends at Rogers, uh, who control Hockey Night in Canada now, are in uh, in tough. I mean, um, you may have noticed they uh, they laid off some people. Uh, they're uh, they're in uh, they're in crisis mode over there. They're not uh, they're not not only not making the money they thought they'd make. I'm I'm pretty sure they have to be losing money at this point, point. Um, and therefore they they go to their their, uh, their ace in the hole, which is the Leafs
0: but i would think chris and and I, look everything you just said makes a ton of sense that if if things are difficult you go to what you know is going to work and we know the leafs even when they're bad people are going to watch them yeah, yeah but wouldn't aren't there as many or close to as many montreal fans around the country wouldn't the canadians work
4: well um t- not they they would be your second your you know your your backup plan but but what's happened, and you know, in, in hockey night in Canada, and this was before Rogers controlled them. They've they've, and I, they've contributed to this problem, because by by going with the Leafs, not not as much as they, they are now, but certainly they have been. Like I said, for probably two decades, by with you know making the Leafs the center of hockey night in Canada, what they've done is they haven't allowed the Canadians, the Canucks, the Oilers to build a national fan base. Uh, when when these teams get on hockey night in Canada, there's probably you know h- half the people in uh, sitting in their living rooms have no idea who these players are, and that's so they're they're paying the price for that. Um, and now they're in a situation where because they need to get maximize the ratings, they pretty much have to go with the Leafs.
0: Well, and you, and you mentioned the Canucks. I mean, like the the Canucks, the Oilers, the Flames have a slightly different scenario because they are in a different time zone, so they will still get a ton of Hockey Night in Canada coverage. It's on the back half of the doubleheader, and a lot of people have gone to bed. But that's still. I mean, that's that's. I don't know that that's anybody's fault that they're in a three-hour later window. So you know, what what are we going to do about that? But if I'm a fan of the um, the Canadians or the Senators or the Jets, and even the Jets are a little bit later, but still, I'm like, wait yeah. a second, especially if the Senators. If I'm a fan of the Senators, and I think there are still about four of them out there, <laughs> I'm looking at this going, wait a second, are we even on Hockey Night in Canada this year? Like we're completely ignored.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, it's. uh like I said, it's uh, it's it's pure business, you know, nothing personal, <laughs> um, uh, you know. And it's, uh, I mean, they've got themselves in this situation because because, like I said, they've ignored uh, these other teams for years. Uh, the Canadians, uh, if I go back into the the 80s and 90s, the Canadians were they used to alternate, right? Saturday night, one one week it was Canadians, the next week it was Elise, and then all of a sudden it was. Leafs, 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 Canadians. <laughs> you know, and so as a result, like I said, the the the, the Leaf base is from Vancouver to uh, to St. John's, and most of the other teams have regional. You know, it's the uh, it's the people in the home province or the home region that uh, that follow them. So,
0: and I remember uh, writing about this a number of years ago when Jim Balsillie was right in the middle of his bid to bring a team here. Uh, one of the three teams that he tried to bring here to Hamilton. Yeah. I remember writing about the fact that if people here think that Hamilton, even if we get a team, is going to be featured across the country and this is really going to plump up our resume as far as a, right. a city that everyone in the country knows about, Hamilton would not be getting Hockey Night in Canada primetime games unless no, they'd, they'd they were Ottawa. playing the Leafs.
4: They'd be Ottawa.
0: Yeah, well, Yeah. yeah.
4: They may get on a couple of times a year. Uh, unless they were playing the Leafs,
0: unless they were playing the Leafs, and that's yeah. and even Montreal is looking at that. They've got six Hockey Night in Canada games, according to Jack's story. Yeah. And again, I didn't look. Six Hockey Night in Canada games. Four of those are against the Leafs, so it's it is truly the Hockey Night in Toronto for sure. And
4: yeah, no, I and mean, you know, I mean, there, you know, the old the old joke uh, is that you know TSN doesn't stand for the sports network; it stood for the Toronto sports network, and uh, there was and is. <laughs> Some legitimacy to that, and it, and again, it's just pure business, right? I mean, like I said, uh, every ad executive uh, sitting down to TV at night is uh, doing so in uh, a GTA living room, and this is what they see, and this is what they want to see, and this is this is what uh, prompts them to buy ads.
0: But Chris, so. the part that I've never understood, and and maybe you can help me with this, because honestly, this is this is something that has always confused the heck out of me, is that. How many years ago was it that TSN and Sportsnet each expanded to have five channels, something like that? Six channels? Yeah, I, Ten years ago now? That
4: was about yeah, about eight or nine years ago. Okay. 10.
0: And the idea at that point was, you've got like Sportsnet, for example, you've got Sportsnet East, Sportsnet Ontario, Sportsnet West, Sportsnet Pacific. The idea was that all these different regions were going to be served individually and uniquely with stuff for their market. And I would have thought, now Hockey Night in Canada is a different animal, but I would have thought that would have meant everybody would have been happy because all of your area, and TSN is the same, all your area is just loaded with coverage of your team and your teams. And yet when I turn on those stations half the time, TSN 1, 2, 3, and 4, or 2, 3, 4, and 5, or whatever combination, are all showing exactly the same thing.
4: Yeah, and again, it's just it's down to bucks. Uh, you know, they've uh, you know, and what what you'll see is either the one the one game, you uh, know, particularly on Sportsnet, where you know five channels are showing the same game, and it's their belief that that will, and that's probably true. It maximizes their ratings, so they go to the advertiser and say, "Here's our numbers." and therefore uh, pay this amount for your ads
0: but would that maximize your it would why wouldn't it maximize your ratings to say we're going to put three pick up from nhl network or something we're going to pick up three different games so now we have three fan bases we can appeal to
4: uh, yeah well it, that would make sense but <laughs> well, the problem is that they're you know the games aren't going on at the same time right so they can't they can't always do that um but but you know the the uh, it it it's it just it's just a numbers game. Uh, I mean, I'm uh, you know I would I wouldn't defend it because I don't think I don't think people are being served. Uh, I mean, I remember when Sportsnet started up in '98, uh, they had four regional networks, and the plan was that uh, everybody in the Pacific network would see the Canucks, they'd see uh, anything out of BC, including see, you know <laughs> the old promise that they were going to show university sports. And I think that lasted about six months, and they realized that they couldn't do it, and uh, or they wouldn't do it, and it never happened. So the regional networks basically show hockey and soccer regionally, and that's about it.
0: All right, let me ask you another question about Hockey Night in Canada, because, again, I mean, if we're, it's not that we're picking on them. They are, are well, at one time anyway, they were the, the show in Canada. Certainly yeah, for CBC no. they paid the bills. Now Sportsnet calls the shots now with it, but... And collects the money. And collects the money, true (laughs) enough. Yes. But I'm tuning in last weekend to watch Toronto and Montreal, and once again startled, and I don't even know if startled is the right word, but caught off guard maybe by the giant Huawei ad that is involved. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wait a second, we have two Canadians who are, for all intents and purposes, being held hostage in China over this. Why in the world? Surely there has to be another advertiser that could would be stepping up to sponsor this it it seems so jarring
4: yeah and and that again it just comes down to money right i mean i have i presume they have a contract with Huawei and if they're to break it it's going to cost them money they'd have no trouble filling filling in with somebody else but they'd probably have to pay a penalty now you could argue well isn't principle you know more important uh, like you say especially when you're involved with uh, people being uh, put unfairly in jails um, you know isn't that more important than the extra bucks they've obviously decided no it's, it's it's the money
0: but don't most contracts whether it's for I mean we see it with athletes that athletes all have or most of them have in their contract a morality clause or something that says that you, right. w- there is a way out of this if things go south with you yeah, don't I, don't most advertisers have something similar or no
4: I I honestly don't know, but I've never heard of such a thing. Um, I mean, we don't expect uh, you know GM to act badly so we have to cancel their ads. I, it's possible, but I, I've certainly never heard of it.
0: All right. Well, it, as I say, it just it, it 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 was the first thing I noticed, and it caught yeah. me off guard. And I was like, this it just it seems wrong. It, I, and again, I understand money and all the rest, but it just it seems like it's probably about the worst company. Maybe SNC Lavalan might be a, a poorer <laughs> choice, but other than those two, I
4: think uh, I think after the NHL saw what happened to the NBA the last week, I think they're probably. <laughs> just going to stay right
0: out of it. <laughs> that, you know, that's a great point though. That's yeah. a great point with the yeah. Houston the Houston Rockets general manager tweeting about the freedom uh the de- democracy movement in Hong Kong and China has l- kind of lost its mind about yeah. this. Yeah, maybe you don't want to yeah. fiddle around too much with Huawei at this oh, point well, and they'd... screw up your entire NHL plans.
4: Sure, and they may uh, may you know, China may cancel all uh all the uh exports of skates to the country and then we're then we're in big trouble. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it's true, because I think they're probably all made there. Uh, Probably. All right, just before I let you go, I I brought this up earlier this week, changing topic entirely. Um, We were talking about the baseball playoffs, and one of the amazing things that I find about the baseball playoffs, A, is that they continually live up to expectations. I, I mean, beyond all the other sports, some of the other sports, you know, they have their moments. Baseball, every year, it seems, comes through in the playoffs. I don't know how they do it. Um, But they do. And last night was, you know, just remarkable drama with Clayton Kershaw, one of the greatest pitchers of our generation, again melting down and all the rest. Prior to October 1st. Well, exactly. I I saw a stat today that said that he has a 2, and I I may be a little off, but a 2.44 ERA in his regular season career, which is among the best in the modern era. And he clearly is among the best pitchers in the modern era. And after the sixth inning in playoff games, it's 12.77 or something, and it's the worst in major league history. Wow. And it's like, how does that, anyway? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all the, thing, the point is, all the things that we really hate about regular season baseball, that it takes too long, there's too many pitching changes, there's too l- stepping in and out of the batter, all, everything that we hate about, about regular season baseball, we love it when it's in the playoffs.
4: Yeah, no, Exactly. I mean it could still do with a few less pitching changes but uh you know uh, remember the all well, the old uh, logo or motto for the NFL you know any given sunday right so on any given sunday anybody can win it was never true <laughs> but it was a great it was a great uh, motto but that's the baseball playoffs like probably even more i mean the NHL used to be that way at the, there was a period where you know those uh, teams that sneaked into the playoffs on the last day ended up knocking off the best teams. Well, actually, it happened last year, didn't it?
0: Well, and the LA <laughs> Kings eight. a few years ago won yeah. the cup from eighth yeah. place. So
4: yep. it does. But baseball, it just seems to even if it doesn't happen, you know, as far as the the low team knocking off the be- the best team, it's still they come close. Like the, the competition level is phenomenal.
0: Do we like that? Do in, in baseball? Do we like the Dodgers had a payroll? I think the Dodgers payroll was. Uh, Second or third in all of baseball, the Yankees are up there, the Red Sox are yeah. up there, and then the Dodgers. Do we like it when we lose so many star-studded big teams? Or I mean, I know what the networks probably think—they want Los Angeles. But right, exactly. But is there? Do you think people still love the underdog, or do they oh. want the star teams in there?
4: Yeah, no, I think uh, I think your your baseball fans love love the underdogs. Uh, the population at that, that large uh they probably only you know they probably haven't heard of the Tampa Bay Rays you know. <laughs> but uh, no i think i think if you're a baseball fan this is just this is just marvelous this is what you you dream of as far as uh, uh you know a, a series where where literally any on any given day anybody can win
0: uh, you know, it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that the playoffs are such a different grind or non grind from a regular season in baseball. It's 162 games, and then you have a you know a best three out of five, and all of a sudden it's done. Which uh, yeah. But uh, someone pointed out, and I'll let you go, Chris. But somebody pointed out, I think it was uh, I think it was a uh, pointed out that uh, we could be facing a, seeing a World Series between Tampa and Washington, which would be the future Expos <laughs> versus the ex Expos. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I saw that. That's brilliant. That would be great.
0: <laughs> it would be. It would be the all Montreal yeah. World Series without Montreal being. Probably
4: be the lowest rated World Series in in, uh, in a couple of decades, but
0: except in Montreal, it's a, <laughs> yes, in and Washington, Chris Elkiewicz Always appreciate the time. Thanks for okay. doing this today. Thank you, Scott. That's uh, yeah, the Hockey Night in Toronto. Well, you know, it's true. If you're a Leaf fan, you're not complaining. If you're a Leaf fan, it's fantastic. Why would you not want to have the Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada all the time? But I, I, I get the point. Because you know what? I go back to what I said a moment ago with Chris. If Hamilton had ever got a team, I'm saying if they had because I'm never using that in the future tense anymore. We're not getting a team. But if we ever had got a team, Hamilton would not be getting Hockey Night in Canada time Saturday after Saturday. We just wouldn't. And you want to know how cranky people around here would be if Toronto was on Hockey Night in Canada every single Saturday and Hamilton was... The Hamilton, whatever they were called, were sent up to some random channel way up the dial that you had to go looking for and had to have a special subscription service for. Ooh, people here would have been cranky. We would have been salty in this city. So you can kind of imagine how folks in Ottawa particularly are feeling when the senators are all but invisible on television. Now, granted... There really are not many Senators fans, especially outside of Ottawa. I mean, you go out of the Ottawa silo and you might find seven people who like the Senators. So it kind of makes some sense. Nonetheless, we oh, if we had a team here, just imagine if we had a team here and every Saturday it was the Leafs and never the Hamilton Steel Thunders. It had to be steel in there somewhere. Somebody would have made the name steel in there somehow. Oh, we would, we'd be, this, the phone lines would be lighting up every day. Why are the Leafs on again? I'm telling you, we would have been angry. So you get it. You understand it. Now I've got myself thinking what would be a great name for the Hamilton team if we'd ever got it. The Hamilton Moros. No? I'm trying to think. I'll do it over the break. If you've got got a great name, Ben says the Hamilton Foundries. It's all right. If you've got a name over the break, Radley at 900CHML.com. The Scott
1: Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML.